Today's guest on the show is Bin Ren, the CEO and founder of SigTech. Bin started life as the chief investment officer of the Systematic Investment Group at Brevin Howard, the hedge fund, before going on to found SigTech. He also knows a thing or two about computers with a PhD in computer science at Cambridge University. With Bin, I got to explore the latest developments in generative AI and what that means for the financial services system. It was very interesting to get his take given his position and seat in this industry. Hi, thank you for joining us today. It's Hitam Patel from Oliver Wyman, Global Lead of our Financial Infrastructure Tech Services platform. Thank you for listening. And I'm delighted to welcome today Bin Ren. And I'm going to let Bin Ren introduce himself with a little bit of an elaborate background, if you can, Bin, so everyone knows uh, a bit more about how you've got to where you've got to today. Hey, Hayton, such a pleasure to be here. So um, hi, everybody. I'm uh, Bin Ren, the founder and CEO of SigTech. So SigTech is um, technology company that specializes in capital markets. So before I talk about my company and what we do, um, you know, let me quickly introduce myself and uh, how, how I got here. So I was born in China. I'm Chinese. Did my undergrad in electrical engineering and, and computer science in China, and then went to Cambridge University in England to do my PhD. So I had the privilege of working on a project called Zen which was the virtual machine monitor at the time. So it was in 2003 to 2007. So the cool thing about Zen was, you know, um, it was actually the one piece of core technology that would ended up in the Amazon, you know, AWS cloud, you know, service. So the entire AWS actually was built on what we wrote. So Zen was at the time 100 times faster than any competing software out there. And it was open source, totally free. That's one very cool thing I did um, early on. And that got me into um, large-scale computing and uh, introduced me to uh, team finance. So I wanted to set that scene because we're going to cover some pretty interesting topics today. We'll obviously take a bit of time through the company. But given all the hype out there at the moment on generative AI and what's going on, it's always nice to uh, to have a bit of a practitioner or be underselling as a practitioner in that space. So we'll, um, no, I wanted to make sure we reflect on that. But um. Let's kick off a little bit on SigTech. Just talk to me a little bit more about what it does, the problem it's solving. Yeah. So SigTech, we specialize in capital markets. And um, um, really, we focus on one thing, which is to speed up the idea to market. Right. If you think about the life cycle of ideas for a typical trader or portfolio manager, their day-to-day is all about ideas, right? Idea generation, implement the idea, test it, and if it's good, deploy the idea, deploy capital behind the idea and generate PLs, right? It's a life cycle of ideas. And it's becoming increasingly important to really make the life cycle, cycle as short as possible, right? Because opportunities come and go. So we have developed the technologies over the last 10 years to really help to bring that ideas to market in seconds instead of, instead of months, right? It used to take months. Generative AI, it now takes seconds. That's what we do. And we believe that by helping everybody, not just professional, but actually, you know, enthusiasts, even retail traders, to take their idea and uh, let them see the results in seconds, you know, we allow more information to be priced into the market more quickly. 
and we would allow more participants in the market. Therefore, we are playing a role in making the market more efficient. That's awesome. I think when you've described this to me in the past, that the picture I've had in my head was you like democratizing the access to pond trading. I don't know whether that's a fair reflection, but it'd be, be great if you talk a little bit around where you started and honed this capability versus kind of the clients and the customers who are benefiting and using what you're, you're bringing to market today. Yeah, that's a great question, Hayden. So where we started was actually from the very top end of the market, right? Because, you know, SIGTEC was, you know, the SIG, S-I-G, part of the name, uh, actually stands for Systematic Investment Group. It was the name of my group at Brevin Howard, one of the world's top hedge funds. So I was the chief investment officer of SIG at Brevin, and uh, we were running quant funds using the technologies, technologies we built in-house. And we made a decision in 2019 to focus on monetizing infrastructure and technology we built because we really believed that we had the best product at the time and probably still we do. And therefore, we want to focus on where our edges are, right? So that's where we come from. So we come from a very institutional, battle-tested, professional-grade kind of technology. But since then, in the last four years, we essentially have poured a lot of resources to make it more accessible to more and more people, a wide and wider audience. So when we started, it requires really, really the most sophisticated users, right? People who understand market, understand Python, understand programming, understand backtesting, understand you know, overfitting, underfitting, all sorts of things. Very, very hardcore, right? But today, Hayton, I'm delighted to tell you, with the help of large language models, what we have enabled is that anyone with any idea of the market, they say it in English, and we can generate the Python code using our AI models on the fly in real time and show you the results. Actually, wow. one of the applications they're working on is actually not just a text to results or test to code to results. Actually, it's voice. You know, we, in a few months, when you and I have a Zoom call and talk about financial market, when we when you make a comment on say how the yield curve has changed because of the CPI print, or I make a you know some comments regarding how the stock market has behaved because of the you know the enthusiasm for AI companies, our voice is automatically translated into text, and text automatically translated into Python code. And the idea we talk about is automatically implemented and run and shown as we speak. That's wow. where that's the that's the wow. future we are getting to. I hope that's more effective than when Gmail shows me adverts for fake lawns after uh, hearing my wife complain about my <laughs> attempts at keeping the grass. But um it's pretty pretty powerful stuff. And I guess in my head, hearing you talk, I've got this image as you described of this incredibly powerful, sophisticated tool that was used by, you know, trained practitioners now being made available to, you know, everyday person on the street. Like talk, talk to me about some of the challenges around cascading that down that you've kind of wrestled with in the, in recent times. Yes. I think when we started was, uh, we, um, we were a B2B enterprise sales focused fintech company, right? And we've come to learn that the main challenges, hard learned lesson. It is, we have many things that everybody wants, but not many people want everything, okay? So it's one of those very awkward situations. When we go to an enterprise client and say, we have this amazing end-to-end -end 
solution or platform. Take a look. But there's always something they want that we don't have. Because in this new market, I think people naturally expect any off-the-shelf product to meet their exact proprietary requirements. Okay, it's a bit unfair, yeah. but that's where how people that's how people react to any new product. We had to well, once we understood the implication of this, you know, we made a very strategic decision, which is to unbundle the functionalities inside our fully integrated platform, and then offer these hundreds of functionalities through API services. Right, so we have all these API services running, and then then we can go to anyone and and uh, any prospect and say, you know what, pick and choose the bits that you want, and integrate them into your applications, into your workflows. It's instead of being trapped in some yes. sense inside our platform. So that has been working out really well. You use the word implications there. Just picking up on that, I don't know if it's too early to tell, but in your mind, what are some of the implications of how? financial markets behave or opportunities arise from having democratized access to some of these quant trading strategies, more people being able to test and deploy them. What do you think happens in terms of how markets behave, the ability to generate alpha? How have you, have you thought much about that? It'd be interesting to get a sense as to how this plays through. Yeah, I think, you know, if we go back to the four stages of the life cycle of idea, right? idea generation, implementation, testing, and deployment. So I think the participants from, say, retail side of, of the world, I think has huge implications. For example, on the idea generation, the truth is the number of ideas is, prob- is probably first and foremost a function of the number of people <laughs> trying to think up, come up with ideas. And frankly, the retail people, maybe the quality of their ideas is a bit lower than professionals, but there are hundreds of thousands of them very active and in, in different forums on Reddit, and they have plenty of ideas, right? They have plenty of ideas. And then we, and once they have some idea, some ideas in, uh, inevitably go viral and, yes. and, and gain the followers. And then that's why what we, uh, what we witnessed during the pandemic, you know, retail traders and especially, you know, uh, meme stocks became a phenomenon. It was not just some sort of a joke or some kind of a, you know minor thing. It actually had implications because it actually severely affected the performance of some of the world's largest hedge funds. Not only some of them got hurt pretty badly, but it also made the rest of them realize that without modeling retail investors inside their portfolios and taking into account the retail sentiment and which retail ideas is going viral, they have a serious problem in terms of managing the risk and sizing their trade. So I think the boundary between professional and retail is getting blurred, especially in today's world where, you know, the most popular applications, some of the largest companies actually are all consumer companies. I think that's fascinating. I'm always, I wouldn't say frustrated, but there was, there's always this view that hey, there's the rise of passive and the retail investor should remain passive or, you know, try and stock pick or pay fees away. feels like you're introducing this third way by for those who want to get themselves up the curve, who have an interest in markets, an idea where alpha could be generated. You know, here's some tools to go and help you, you know, efficiently put on some of the trades and put them to work, which historically they probably wouldn't have had access to. So what kind of training do they need? Like, do you provide that? Is that something they find out in the market? Like, how do they figure out whether they can pick your piece of kit up and know how to use it or put it to work? 
Yeah. So we we realized that you know the idea generation bit uh, stage of the life cycle. Then the retail investors they, they they are doing it already, right? They are discussing it on social media. They are already trying to come up with ideas. But it's the rest of the life cycle. It's about how easy is it to turn those ideas into code, then test it and see the results. What happens now is that it's extremely difficult. So you have this, all these retail enthusiasts talking about idea, but actually they never or barely test it. They don't test it because they can't implement it. Therefore, they don't even know how good or bad the idea is. So we, we want to help them to actually learn about markets and actually test the idea they come up with by making it damn simple, right? Super simple. Do we spell it out for me? What's an example retail? Yeah. One strategy that a retailer may, retail investor may be able to knock up. Great. For example, I think one thing could be uh, what it's like to buy Tesla stocks one day before the quarterly earnings announcement and sell it two days later. Because if you look at the past, maybe four or eight or 12 quarters, every single quarter's announcement, Tesla has sort of Beat expectations and rally, right? So it's very natural for a retail investor who loves Tesla and Elon Musk to say what it's like just to capitalize the jump during the earnings release, right? So a simple idea like that, buy before earnings, sell it two days later, you know, it's a simple idea. But how does the result look like? Now, with the help of large language models, we can literally turn the sentence into Python code, calling SIGTAC APIs, generate the backtest, show you the performance in seconds. Wow. Right? You can see this result being embedded inside the conversation itself. Someone says it on the forum, this idea, and then by call, the trigger a bot, right? And they pick it up, generate the results, and then actually return result embedded into part of the conversation. We can see that happening. And can you, there's testing, and do you guys then also implement from there on? Or is it then, you know, you let the investor can then go find their way on whichever platform to execute the trade? I think um, what's going to happen then is to people can pick up this results, like a simple backtesting. And then once they log into their account uh, as SIGTAC, and then they'll be able to uh, set up connectivities with their retail brokers and therefore send the automate the, the calculation of the strategy and send the training orders to the brokers that way. So that's how uh, we, we see, you know, by leveraging the the models and the uh, analytics and the engine we build, you know, frankly, for professionals and put a large language model in front of it as a, you know, user interface. Um, we now, we are now able to enable multiple use cases, which was simply not possible before. Amazing. Amazing. So we've, we've kind of gone there already on the large language models and generative AI, but if I could just zoom out a little bit and think about relatively early on in that journey, a lot of people scrambling around, figuring out what are some of the opportunities, what are some of the threats, and more broadly across the financial markets ecosystem. Where else do you see changes? Which bits most excite you? Which bits most scare you? What's amazing about GPT is that it has been around for a few years, or several years, actually, right? And frankly, no one really paid much attention to it until when ChatGPT came out, which is quite interesting because GPT was actually available through API services. You can actually build, you know, applications calling those language models last year, I mean, even the year before. But it didn't become a global phenomenon until the OpenAI team built a retail-focused application on top of it. 
which is fascinating. You know, it became the most popular retail application ever launched in human history. Now, you know, within record time, they had over 100 million users, right? It's fascinating because it's like the most advanced AI technology. Nobody paid attention. Nobody was talking about it. You and your friends were there, right? There was a cult. There was a group, right? I assume. There was a group. We were experimenting, but, you know, it was sort of like a secret, you know, kind of a nerdy, nerdy obsession than anything else. But once they launched a retail app on top of it, which is chat, chat GPT, it really took off. So in terms of like the implication of this is, A, I think the GPT, the large, large language models, is so fascinating. There are multiple aspects. One is it's improving exponentially. Right, which is, you know, the last time we had experience with exponential improvement was the Moore's law. The, the computing power doubles every 18 months, but it kind of has plateaued, you know, it kind of a hit the ceiling, ceiling in the last couple of years. But the exponential rate of improvement in AI is much faster than that. So something more like doubles every six months, which is kind of mind boggling. The number one. Number two is that, you know, people now realize that, you know, the, the GPT-4 can pass you know, professional exams in almost two dozens of fields in the top 10 percentile, right? The GPT-4 is a pretty decent lawyer, pretty decent accountant, pretty decent tax advisor, you know, like, so it's, it's actually quite scary. So the way I think about it is people say, but I think today people naturally think AI is a tool, just a very clever tool, and it's getting even cleverer, okay? So people are thinking about using AI to augment human. Right, we use this tool to augment our work, but I think a bit differently. I think actually that's not radical enough. I think the more radical view of what's going to happen is actually humans are going to become the tools that augment AIs. <laughs> humans are going to be the tools augmenting AIs. It's the other way around. So let me give you an example. This is already happening. Now, if you look at the large like a social media company like TikTok and the Facebook, you know they have this giant machine learning algorithm they've trained running multiple data centers that does moderation, right? It does moderation. So that piece of content created, uploaded, some AI says, oh, the content is good or bad, you know, something. But it cannot moderate effectively every single piece of the content. So they have still have to employ, for example, TikTok employ 20,000 people, humans, to do full-time moderation in Ireland. Right. Let me ask you, TikTok moderation is done by A, a giant machine learning slash AI algo running data centers using gigawatts of energy, and then 20 humans dealing with the piece of content that the AI cannot deal with. Who is augmenting whom? Is AI augmenting humans or humans augmenting AIs? So I think the future is humans. <laughs> Augmenting AI. So that's how I'm positioning SigTech as a company. I want SigTech, the products and services that we offer and we build today, to be the tools used by all these large language models whenever they want to try or implement or do something in a financial market. I want to be seen as the bridge that bridges the AI brain yeah. to the real markets. So that's where we are. Quite the image. You've done nothing to stem my constant flipping to being, you know, exhilarated slash scared when anyone asked that question. I was having my own moment, actually. I was reflecting on, you know, what can we learn from these large language models and how they work and add value and just looking at the role as like a consultant and advisor. And I was like, I'm just a function of all the meetings that I do and the people that I see. 
add a bit of logic as to what are some of the patterns and what are the bits that resonate and you spit some stuff out. And then I was like, oh, but then I'm missing all of that like knowledge around written content and books. I probably need to feed a bit more into that as well. And so suddenly thinking a little bit like yourself as a large language model, okay, have I got the right number of sources? What can I compute? And what's my uniqueness, right? And for many advisors in our profession, whether you're a consultant, banker, lawyer, I think the uniqueness is a lot of the bilateral interactions you benefit, right? And situations you see, but it, it's weird that even you're thinking of yourself as a bit of a large language model, just to, you know, how do you keep your edge in that setup? It's fascinating. Maybe, you know, by um, maybe time to, for all of us to uh, keep a good record of our personal data, like all your thoughts, diaries, meeting notes, and then use it to fine tune a large language model to create the AI version of you, Hayton, who does 75% of your job. So you can, you know, you know, have more time with the family and all go on holidays in the Bahamas. <laughs> we'll come on to some of that stuff in a moment. But like, jokes aside, right, it is interesting. We spend a lot of time with financial data companies. And one of the big things is what's commoditized data versus what's proprietary data. And a lot of these companies are incredibly successful and valuable from the proprietary data they have or mixing that with the commoditized data and data that's out there and readily available monetizes super quickly. And you raise a good point there, right? On a personal level, have we had that right level of discipline? It seems like we've allowed everything to get commoditized and be given away. And what is that? What are those golden pieces that do want to retain and keep? But um, anyway, let's park that there. I guess I wanted to pivot a little bit. You were getting there on onto the personal side. What are the Things I always like to ask is shed a little bit, a bit more light into your non-work life. Like what's talk us a little bit about a interest or a hobby or something that you're passionate about and how that's helped fuel what you do day to day in the, the professional world. Great. Thank you. I think we're hitting. So, you know, I never actually um, thought of uh, growing up, I never thought of finance as a dream job. You know, my, my dream job growing up actually was uh, be, to be a philosopher. And uh, until my uncle told me it's not a real job. But, you know, funny thing is, I think if I think about the nature of the work done by humans, as we you know adopt large language models, I realize something is very interesting, which is, you know, up to now a big part of our of our job is to be analytical, to be diagnostic, and to solve problems. Right? That's that's our job. Our job is problem solving. But what happens when large language models can solve problems and give answers faster and better and cheaper than we do? Okay. So I feel like the nature of the job is changing from giving answers to asking good questions. Because if today I ask a good question, I ask the GPT for a good question, I, good, I get a good answer. If I ask a better question, I get a better answer. Does this mean that the nature of the work is less about answers, but more about questions? Does this mean that now we can all go back <laughs> and take a page from the philosophy book. And then maybe what the ancient Greeks did in Athens had some merit. You know, they, they were not, you know, watching uh, TikTok and Instagram, but actually debating ideas and asking right questions. Maybe that's one of those skills that we, we come to appreciate more. Bring back and, the philosopher um, in you. <laughs> bring back the philosopher. So in my spare time, I do read a lot and uh, do some sports cycling to decompress. But in my position, I realized that in this environment where everything is changing so fast, my job is because has changed. My job now is make money, save money, raise money all the time, <laughs> all the time. So that's the nature of my job. So that's something constantly on my mind. 
But doing that in a philosophical approach, you can see there being a, if you take your theory and apply it, I can see there being a top 10 baby names in the next generation, bringing back Socrates and Plato and the rest of them. But it does raise a, when I think about what you've just raised, I've been thinking about actually, should people become more, you know, bring back the polymath? Uh, just the way the education system narrows and funnels you. Like I was a, I was a mathematician. I kind of studied maths at university. Probably don't use it that much anymore because you're not at the cutting edge and the leading edge. And actually realizing some of these machine models, once you get to quite a narrow specificity of field, that's probably where they may be most advantageous. And what's left to do, as you say, is join the dots and ask the questions. But um, yeah, there's probably a lot for us to wax lyrical as we reflect on some of this going forward. My final point I always like to cover off with guests is, um, you know, passing on and shining the spotlight elsewhere. So I'd, I'd love to invite you to kind of mention an individual or a company, someone who's doing something pretty exciting that's captured your attention that you think the community's not yet fully caught on to yet. Yes. Oh, great. So a very good friend of mine, um, his name is Kit Tran. He used to run the IHS Marketing Asia, a very senior guy. And now, now that Airtrain's market has been um, merged with SMP, and he is actually um, now focusing on launching his next startup. And uh, I don't know the name of the startup yet because it's in stealth mode, but it's coming out in July. So I want to give a shout out to Kit. Lovely, great, incredible guy. And uh, his startup is going to focus on how, how the data licensing models uh, should work in a, in a world where AI will be the licensee, you know? He envisages a world where AIs will use data to train and uh, analyze data. So how does AI automatically license data on demand? How do you manage the digital rights? How do you unbundle data, data sets so that AI can get to, get to pick and choose what you need, right? It's a, it's a very interesting, interesting idea and business model. And I can't wait to see where his company is going to uh, going to head. So uh, give big shout out to Kit and uh, and good luck. Awesome, thank you, Ben. Yeah, very timely. I think uh, hearing you describe that definitely going to be a big wave of interest there. Well, look, I think we're against time, Ben. But first of all, thank you very very much for taking the time out with us and really enjoyed that conversation from democratizing access to quant trading, the rise of retail investing, and then philosophizing around quite how far some of this generative AI may go, exciting and scaring us in equal measures. But uh, thank you for taking the time out and uh, coming on the show. Hitton, thank you so much. Pleasure.